88.1 WKNC. You're listening to Eye the Triangle. I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. we got a great show for you today. Nick has gotten to the bottom of the reopening of Pullen Park. Mark has a report from Fiesta del Pueblo. Nate interviewed someone from the Teen Center. Jake brings us some news that isn't. And we have a report from Shackathon. However, first let's go to our very own meteorologist, Katie Costa, for the weather. Well, it looks like we will be seeing rainy and stormy weather conditions for the rest of this work week since southerly winds will pump in warm, moist air from the south tonight through Saturday. Expect our chances for rain and thunderstorms to start this evening with mostly cloudy skies and a low of around 66. Now be sure to grab your umbrella on the way out the door tomorrow since our rain chances will increase to about 70%. Temperatures will be slightly warmer than we saw today with a high of around 79 degrees. Expect our rain chances to continue into tomorrow evening with temperatures falling to a comfortable 67 degrees. Now on Thursday, expect stormy weather to make its way into the triangle along with temperatures finally hitting that 80 degree mark once again. It will feel warmer since we haven't seen temperatures in the 80s for quite a while now. Thursday evening will be warm with a low of 70, but we still have stormy weather conditions in store for us in the evening, so be sure to grab that rain jacket on your way out Thursday night. It looks like Friday is our last round of stormy weather with slightly cooler temperatures than Thursday since the high will only peak to 76. Now, Friday night showers and storms will finally taper off and it will be cooler than Thursday evening with temperatures dropping off to 62 degrees. Saturday, a cold front will move through the triangle in our favor, so good news is is that we have a beautiful dry weekend ahead with partly cloudy skies and highs in the upper 70s. The evenings will be chilly, though, with lows in the mid-50s, but overall much more pleasant weather than we, we will be seeing now through Friday. So, Chris, I don't know about you, but I am definitely going to find a way to make it outside this weekend after all this rain is out of here. Yes, I'm definitely looking forward to it. However, I have been enjoying these lower temperatures. It's been great. It has been nice. It's been a nice relief. Yes. Well, thanks, Katie. As always, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week. Uh, You're welcome. Since 1887, Pullen Park has been one of the coolest spots to go and relax. However, since December 2009, the park has been closed for repairs and renovations. The park was scheduled to be reopened this summer, but delays have kept the park closed. To find out when the park will reopen, our contributor Nick Savage filed this story. For nearly two years, the familiar sound of the merry-go-round at Poland Park has been replaced by the sounds of construction and renovation. But soon, this November in fact, the Poland Park amusement area will be reopened to the public. Among the changes are an improved carousel house, a new concessions building, new playground equipment, and a new depot for the train. David Schaus, the Raleigh Parks and Recreation Senior Park Planner, was able to tell us more about what we can expect. Well, the carousel house is being completely replaced. This is a major renovation that involves removing a number of the earlier buildings, such as the house that the carousel was in. This new carousel house will look similar to the old one, but offers much more, including climate control, which was absent from the previous house. Though the carousel house is being replaced, the ride itself remains. The ride is, after all, listed on the National Register of Historic Places. There are not many operating carousels in existence across the country, but the Pullen Carousel in particular has been, um, it's basically a work of art that you invite people to come participate in. You sit on it and ride it and that type of thing. So the actual artwork, the carving, the painting of the horses, the other animals on the carousel, there are a number of painted panels on the carousel as well and there are some 
copies that you might find in local shopping malls, but nothing is quite like the real thing. In addition to the changes to the carousel building, Poland Park will see some new buildings, including a new welcome center, new restrooms, a new playground, and some modifications to the train ride, including a new depot and increased handicapped accessibility involving both the loading platform and a new handicapped accessible car to be pulled by the train. Lake Howell will also experience a change with the implementation of a new geothermal energy system. We are implementing a geothermal heat system for the carousel building, which involves a heat exchanger located in Lake Howell. That's one of the methods for transferring heat from the HVAC system. So it's an energy savings. And if you think about the carousel building, it'll have windows all the way around it. And if you have to locate noisy air conditioners outside, it detracts from the the experience of the carousel itself. So putting a heat exchanger in the water in Lake Howell was a good advantage for us. Opening on November 19th at 2 p.m. after the annual holiday parade downtown, the Poland Park Amusement Area will host music and entertainment in celebration throughout the afternoon. In the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of the world, and welcome to another exciting segment here on I on the Triangle. This is yours truly, Nate G, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, the director of the Teen Center, Mr. Chris Cook. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Now, Chris is one of the leaders in the community who's taking the charge to lead the Teen Center to help inspire, motivate, uplift, and guide our youth so that they can be the future leaders of tomorrow. And today, Chris is going to talk a bit about what the Teen Center is doing to help that cause. As always, don't you touch that dial. Let's jump straight into the interview. Chris, talk to us a bit about what the Teen Center is and what role does it play uh, in terms of helping out the kids in, in the larger community. The Teen Center is one of the seven club boys and girls clubs here in Wake County. We have uh, club locations in Wake Forest, uh, the Raleigh Boulevard, Raleigh Boys Club, Raleigh Girls Club, uh, Brentwood Boys and Girls Club, Washington Elementary, uh, and out in Zebulon. Uh, the Teen Center is a lot different from all of those clubs because we are strictly teens. That's you know that's where the name comes from. Uh, so we deal with rising ninth graders all the way through through high school. Um, and what, what we do here is pretty much we try to um, we try to get them situated and prepared to be positive and productive citizens in society by the time they leave here, uh, whether it be just basic day-to-day knowledge, uh, college preparation, um, any and everything you could think that a teenager would need to know by the time it was time for them to go in the real world, we try to make sure we uh, cover those things. Uh, talk to us a bit about what kind of programs you have going on. Right now, um, in the first part with school just starting late August, we wanted to start out the school year with just basic core programs. Um, uh, we have our cooking program. Uh, we have our Money Matters program, which is financial literacy, teaching the basics, budgeting, things they need to know definitely. On Wednesday, we have our Smart Moves curriculum, which Smart Moves is just dealing with teen issues that they may face on a daily, peer pressure, conflict resolution. You have things, drug and alcohol, prevention, gang, 
uh, things that they see every day, whether it be in school or in their neighborhoods, wherever. Uh, and then on Thursdays, we have um, goals for graduations and um, career launch. So those are two things that we do on uh, Thursdays as well. So right on Friday is fun day. So, you know, not much goes on on Friday. Uh, but those are the core programs that we have going right now. Um, talk a bit more about Money Matters. Uh, we know that it's definitely important for, for kids these days to understand the concept of fiscal responsibility. Um, and the earlier they learn it, the better. So so talk a bit more about the program Money Matters and, and why, uh, in your opinion, it's important that kids um, as early as possible learn uh, what it means to be fiscally responsible. Uh, the kids here... Uh, are a little bit um, are a little bit different cases at times. We have some kids here that don't have a clue <laughs> about budgeting money. Um, it's a lot of kids in the world don't have a clue about budgeting money, what it means to save, what it means to needs versus wants, what it means to open a checking account, the benefits of having a savings account. You know, all these things that pretty much I know I wish I knew at the age of 14 and 15, you know, trying to take that and give it to them now. So when they do get 10 years from now, they're, they're well prepared. They've been there, done that. Um, and that money matters is very, 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 very important. Um, especially this day and age with the economy and job security and needing to put pennies back to make sure you're able to have, pay your bills for the next month. You know, it's just, it's just that type of, economy we're living in now so we can teach these uh teens now how to work in that environment then i think it'll be i think it'll be real good now of course being in a leadership position i know it isn't easy so talk a bit about what are some of the challenging aspects of being a director and of course what are some of the great parts you enjoy about the job and what are some of the um you know more difficult challenging issues you have to deal with um well i always start with the good stuff um the good thing is you know, I get, I know at the end of every day that I've said something or done something productive in one of these young teens' life. Whether it just be, how was your day today? You know, it could be something that small to really helping out with something real big. But just knowing that I had an impact in some way, shape, or form on that day um, is, is definitely a positive. And the fact of being around these young people all the time, you never get old. Uh, they keep you. They keep you very young, uh, so that is definitely a plus. Also, uh, I would say challenge-wise, probably to get this generation's mind frame out of the way it is right now. Uh, try to get them to understand there's more to life than rap music, R&B music, um, sports. Even though I was a sport, I was student athlete. I did the whole nine. Um, you know, but there's a life outside of that. Sports are not going to always be there. Um, but trying to change their mind frame from that to the real world, which I know they're teens. I understand that. So it's going to take them a little bit of time, years to get it. But they'll, the, the challenge of it is they just don't want to hear it right now. You know, that's just a challenge. Uh, but some of them are picking it up. Some of them, they'll get it eventually. But I, I would say that's. Fighting with the new generation is probably the biggest challenge out there right now. Now, we've been talking about the Teen Center, Chris, and the kids, but we haven't really talked about you yet. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners out there a bit about you and, and what motivated you to want to be involved with kids and how exactly you got into this job of being the director of the Teen Center? 
my story is a little is a little different. Um, went to college, was a communications major, okay, uh, minored in psychology, and uh, wanted to be in sports for the rest of my life in some capacity. I didn't care what it was. Um, so fortunate enough to uh, play college ball, uh, left college ball, went on to play in the Arena Football League for some years, and um, it was through my time in the Arena Football League doing volunteer work, even in college also, but just working with, with teens and working in the community, uh, coming back during my off seasons from playing arena ball and coaching in high schools and just being around that generation, you know, I realize once I'm done playing ball, this might be, this might be my, my niche. This might be what I need to be doing. Cause a lot of football players and athletes struggle with that. They don't know really what they want to do when they're done playing. And, uh, I was in Charlotte and, um, had been doing some research on some positions and came across the club director here in Raleigh. So, you know, I, I reached out, went through the proper channels and um, ended up here and I'm, and I'm, and I'm here. So that's kind of, that's kind of how it, uh, how it went down. I decided to go ahead and, and be done with, uh, be done with football and uh, come do, come do what I feel like I needed to be doing. Any other comments you want to add, uh, Chris, in terms of, um, you know, just final thoughts on what the club is doing again and, and uh, maybe any information uh, you, you may want to give the, the listeners out there in terms of tutoring opportunities or um, other activities you have going on at the club. We're always open to um, for tutors. You know, we may have some kids that struggle in certain uh, subjects that I'm not familiar with or someone on the staff may not be as familiar with. So if there's a... Um, you know, if we may possibly need tutors from time to time to maybe come in the evenings and work with work with kids, volunteers. We do a lot of things, obviously through all the clubs. So any any extra hands from time to time wouldn't wouldn't hurt at all. Uh, as far as the club itself, um, you know, we we're, we're trying we're making good strides right now. We make we're making real good strides, and I see every day that that the programs we're putting in place. And um, the staff that we have uh, right now, we um, we're heading in the right direction, and these kids are getting they're getting a lot of good stuff out of what we're trying to get. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Mr. Chris Cook from the Teen Center. We definitely want to thank you, Chris, for joining us today on the show. Uh, much continued success to you at the club, and you're definitely doing a great job. Uh, over there uh, inspiring and, and guiding the kids, uh, you and your staff of Mr. William Dover, Miss Courtney Turner, and Mr. John Sawyer all doing a fantastic job. Uh, for all our listeners out there today, you know, let's, let's just think about what exactly are we doing to continue to inspire and guide our youth. Uh, my older brother always likes to say it is our job to make sure the next generation is greater than the generation before. So let's just think about that from our day-to-day uh, activities of, of what are we doing to, to be role models to the youth and what are we doing um, to make sure that they are aspiring to be uh, like us. Fly on the Triangle, this has been yours truly, Nate G. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle. I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. Next, we have a story from Mark Herring, who visited the Fiesta del Pueblo at the fairgrounds last weekend. (laughs) 
The Latino population of Raleigh has grown 137% in the last decade, according to the 2010 census, bringing together a community of enriched culture and Hispanic heritage to the Triangle. La Fiesta del Pueblo is the flagship event celebrating the Latino culture of Raleigh, and within 18 years, it has developed not into just a cultural exposition, but also a public awareness event regarding health and legal issues that affect the Hispanic community. I talked to Natalia Ospina. I'm a junior at NC State. And she told me a little bit about the migrant worker activist group she works for. I am here at Fiesta del Pueblo working with Student Action with Farm Workers, a nonprofit whose mission is to create diverse coalitions with students and farm workers. I worked as an intern in the summer in rural Virginia, and I went out into the camps, worked with farm workers as well as did some health outreach, which was trying to inform farm workers about their rights as well as trying to get appointments for them and worked in a clinic. So if you all are interested, you should check out the website, saf-unite.org. What are the biggest issues that migrant workers are facing? Pretty much just not knowing their rights as well, just being in a location where they don't know anything. They have no transportation to get to their health appointments. That was the biggest deal for us in Virginia, as well as just a lot of different things, the kids, getting them to school, just many issues that we have to overcome. Along with homemade tamales and handmade tortillas, there were tents filled with health professionals helping distribute information about various health issues that afflict the Latino community. This is what volunteer Marisol Casas had to say. Just try to help um, because there's a lot of people, the Hispanic people, that doesn't know about um, breast cancer. So we are trying to help them. And um, is, is breast cancer a, uh, an, a health issue that a lot of Latinos don't know about? They don't know about it. That's the, the thing. So that's why we want to try to, okay, to transmit that to them. What's the role of education? Well, we're just trying to help about the health. Um, you know, there are a lot of things like diabetes and, and health problems that they don't, they don't know where to get the information from. So that's why we're trying to explain to them. Could you introduce yourself and explain what you're doing here at Fiesta del Pueblo? Um, my name is Dakota Bentz, and I am here for a class, and I'm translating at the health fair. Um, I've been translating at the sickle cell booth, and I'm just trying to get information to people of the Latino community. What's the importance of health education for Latinos? Um, I think a lot of people who come here from other countries or just like people in the Latino community don't have the means to get education. Um, a lot of people don't know where to go to find information about their own health, the health of their families. So I think it's great that we're out here um, just letting people know what's going on with their bodies and what they can do to stay healthy. Okay. And what are you doing exactly at the sickle cell booth? Um, every time someone comes by, um, we'll talk to them. And if they don't know any English, I will um, translate. I'll give them information about testing that they can get for free at Wake County Health Department. And I also went out for about an hour and walked around the fair handing out pamphlets. And what particular population within the Hispanic community is affected by sickle cell anemia? Um, uh, it's a misconception that only African Americans or only people from third world countries get sickle cell, but it's actually starting to cross over into the gene pool with more immigration. And now there's a large percentage of people in North Carolina who are showing up with the trait, if not the disease. Um, and 
Have you have you enjoyed your involvement here at Fiesta del Pueblo? Yeah, it's been great. It's um, I went and had some great uh, food. I've met a lot of people. I've met some people here at the booth. Despite the civic outreach and information booths, there was a lot of festive dance, cultural sharing, and some pretty good tamales. From I on the Triangle, or El Ojo del Triangulo, I'm Mark Herring. Thanks, Mark. And this weekend was a very busy one here in Raleigh. Not only was Fiesta del Pueblo going on, but SparkCon was in full swing. Our contributor Selma went to SparkCon to see what was going on downtown. Testing. 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 You are listening to Selma's Poetry Corner on I Am the Triangle. Last week, the streets of downtown Raleigh were splattered with different colors of creativity, like the paint in the streets expressing the story of each artist, like the words of poets infected the listeners, like every musical chord plucked at least one heartstring. To put it shortly, last week was SparkCon, a Raleigh nonprofit supporting emerging artists and connecting the community through arts. SparkCon includes 15 different sparks that range through different media expressions, like Circus Spark to Geek Spark to Poetry Spark. You can guess which one I picked. So Poetry Spark is for SparkCon, and uh, part of the festival, we had an open mic uh, yesterday where we did um, the Best of the Poetry Spark open mic, and we had um, votes. Everyone did a dollar a vote, and we gave away a Kindle to the grand prize winner, and then the second prize was um, Godiva Chocolates and Poetry Journals, Moleskins, um, work Free Workshop for Writers. And um, tonight we have featured readers, so we have, um, it's a juried reading that we selected um, poems from. And all day long we were doing Poetry on Demand, and part of Poetry on Demand is people give a dollar and a word, and we write a poem in under three minutes. So when I was first applying to colleges, I also applied to Chapel Hill. And on their application it said, if you could go to any place in time, where would you go? I chose Narnia. I could understand why they rejected me. Now, at this Poetry on Demand, my word was Narnia, and this is how the poem goes. Narnia. On a cold night, visit a lamppost. Take a turn through enchanted woods and discover you're surrounded by oaks. Deeper into the forest, ice and snow chill you to the bones of your bones. You'll think you're in Narnia, but you use the wrong wardrobe. Instead, your walk-in closet took you to Raleigh, enchanted with painted streets in the rain, like Monet taking a pass at a canvas road. I'm Tara Lynn Groth, and I live in Raleigh, and I'm a writer. Tara wasn't the only poet I came across at the booth. Pamela also gave me a poem, and hers was about chicken wings. Chicken wings, hot, battered, fried, smothered in gravy or barbecue, dipped in ranch, honey, mustard, blue cheese. I'm licking my fingers, double dipping, sucking the meat off the bone. Mmm, mmm, mmm. These wings make my heart sing. I'm Pamela Taylor, and I'm from Durham. In addition to her poetry, Pamela also explained where poetry on demand comes from. Well, it actually comes from um, this book called Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg. And she talks about spontaneous poetry booths as a way of encouraging um, writers to just to be able to write. And so uh, Tara Lynn thought that would be a great idea. And a lot of people, you know, agreed with her. And so we did it. Like I said, we did it last year uh, for SparkCon. And prior to SparkCon, we did uh, 
I think September and August on the first Friday. We did poetry on demand booths there as well. Poetry Spark also included poetry readings, an open mic, and a poetry slam. I'm Selma Abdulhai with Eye of the Triangle, and I hope you've been enlightened. Now we turn our attention to all the news that isn't with Guy McGimp. Good evening, I'm Guy McGimp, and this is your news, my way. For our first story tonight, we go to New York, where the Prussian ambassador to the UN was removed today after it was discovered that Prussia had actually ceased to exist in 1947, a full two years after the founding of the UN in 1945. Evidently, the state of Prussia has had no less than six UN ambassadors since the country's collapse in 1947, essentially making it the last Prussian office in existence. Well, all that changed today when Ambassador Horst Franzel was escorted from the UN after a clerk noticed the state of Prussia had been sitting on the Economic and Social Council for the past two years. This was brought to the attention of the Secretary General for the United Nations, who called it a, quote, rather embarrassing blunder, and called for the failed state to be ejected from the United Nations immediately. Ambassador Franzel, now without a job, has essentially become the last citizen of a country that no longer exists, and therefore has nowhere to call home. The UN debated today over what to do with the countryless statesman, and ultimately decided Mr. Franzel would become a ward of the world. Now we turn to national politics. The president today rolled up his sleeves and gave a speech to a group of blue-collar workers before stepping down from the podium to join them. After shaking hands with them, the president ate some hot dogs, played cornhole, and participated in other activities that the, quote, normal people of America like to do. Meanwhile, back in Washington, opposition leaders gave a speech saying that, quote, we didn't actually listen to his speech, but whatever he said, we're against it. These remarks come as both sides call for quick action to help a struggling economy. We'll just have to see whose ego is bigger, I suppose. On the subject of jobs, you may have noticed that more and more people are out of work because you are A, currently homeless, or B, surrounded by homeless people. Well, good news for anyone currently looking for a job. According to a recent study by the University of Southern North Dakota, those who go out and apply for a job have a 50 to 60% better chance of landing a job than those who do not. Results are inconclusive, and so far scientists have been unable to give an explanation for the correlation. But reports suggest that if you've been looking for a job, you just might want to pick up an application from that store with the Help Wanted sign in the window. Who knows, you just might land a job. Certainly couldn't hurt your chances. Next, we go to Louisville, Kentucky, where a year-long manhunt, or perhaps, more appropriately, ape hunt, ended today after an escaped chimpanzee was found, of all things, competing as a horse jockey. Chuckles, a chimp, escaped from the Bronx Zoo in New York City last July, and when authorities were not able to locate him, assumed the worst for the poor ape. But Chuckles turned up safe and sound last week when authorities got an anonymous tip about a horse jockey who looked, quote, just a little too apish. The jockey in question turned out to be 24-year-old Glenn Bittner, but while they were down there, they discovered another jockey who was, in fact, pure chimp. As it turns out, Chuckles competed in the Kentucky Derby last May on a horse named Mr. Jiggers and actually placed ninth. Both Derby officials and animal control officials were unable to offer explanations as to how the chimp managed to qualify for the Kentucky Derby and why nobody noticed a chimp riding last May. A zoo official who asked to remain anonymous was quoted as saying, We think he may have stowed away on a southbound train, but at this point we really have no idea. Not to worry, though, Chuckles was fine and now is home safe and sound. And finally tonight, good news for anyone with money. Stocks are up, bonds are up, unemployment is down, and the U.S. is currently running a huge surplus. Whoop, that's upside down. Excuse me. Well, that's all that's going on in your world tonight. I'm Guy McGimp, and that was your news my way. Good night. There's a peculiar thing that happens every year here at NC State. The main gathering square, the Brickyard, is transformed into a shanty and people roam around begging for change, living in hastily constructed huts. The event is called Shackathon and it's kind of a big deal. It's a bunch of student organizations that come out onto the Brickyard 
and build shacks and then just live in them all week. That's John Wyand. He's one of the works project officers for Habitat here at State. The week starts off on Sunday with a day of construction, and then the shacks are manned continuously until the end of the week. Shackathon's not all just about living in a shack either. It's a fundraiser too. Shackathon's our biggest fundraiser. Last year we raised over $16,000. Most of it goes to Habitat Wake, the local affiliate, and it goes to construction. It won't. If everyone donates $2, everyone on campus, then we could fund an entire house. But as like the 16000 will not fund an entire house. We usually co-sponsor a house with like a few other groups. But the Habitat for Humanity Club doesn't just sponsor one house a year. They're a pretty active club here on campus. Almost every Saturday, we go out and we have construction and deconstruction groups. And then we also do tutoring at the Boys and Girls Club on Tuesdays and Thursdays. There's a lot of cool shacks out in the brickyard this year. The Green Building Club has a very unique shack. Well, our shack is uh, a geodesic structure made of white circles with uh, folded into circumscribed triangles that forms basically a uh, amorphous blob of sorts. Uh, well, this shack actually started uh, with a class assignment uh, for a uh, prototyping class in the School of Architecture and the College of Design. Uh, two of the officers of U.S. Uh, Green Building Council student chapter uh, were in the prototyping class and developed a small-scale model um, where they tried to find a uh, modular panel that could create a larger structure. And so that served as the initial basis for what was eventually expanded into our shack. The techniques for getting funds are pretty unique, too. Dylan Haskew of the NC Skate Shack has perfected a particularly strange method of extracting money from people's pockets. Well, uh, we have some change in a cup and we're rattling around um, and making pretty weird voices asking for change. Like the uh, South Park Homeless episode. Change! Anyone got some spare change? Change. Each shack shows its uniqueness. The NC Skate Shack has crazy ramps out in front, and there's skaters doing some pretty radical tricks. We got some ramps out here so we can just hang out here all day and try to get spare change. There's been some gnar. Um, one of our friends uh, did this pretty pretty cool trick off the uh, the kicker. It's called like Nolly Gazelle Spin. It was pretty... It's pretty cool, you know. It's okay. You're on the nose of the board, and the board spins a 540, and you spin a 360. Shackathon is probably the only excuse NC State students get to sleep out in the brickyard every year. It'll be going on until Friday. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee. The last thing we have for you this week is This Week in History, brought to you by Nick and Dave. Hello, and welcome to This Week in History. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. This week in 1580, the explorer Francis Drake completed his circumnavigation of Earth. It took him nearly three years in his ship, the Golden Hind, to complete his voyage. It took mankind 344 more years to repeat this feat in an airplane. In 1776, Nathan Hale was hanged by the British for his activity as an American spy. You might recognize this quote, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. That's Nathan Hale. In 1780, American officer turned British officer Benedict Arnold handed the plans to West Point to the British Army. He had turned his coat in 1779 because he felt that he had not been given the accolades that he deserved by his superiors. Luckily, his plot to hand over West Point to the Brits was foiled by three Westchester patriots. In 1789, Congress passed the Judiciary Act, which would put the first 11 amendments into the Constitution into effect. Essentially, this act guaranteed the basic freedoms that we enjoy today. 
such as the freedoms of speech, press, and religion. In 1827, Joseph Smith Jr. was reportedly visited by an angel who gave him gold plates with inscriptions on them, one-third of which Smith translated into the Book of Mormon. In 1881, Chester A. Arthur was inaugurated as the 21st President of the United States following the assassination of James Garfield. He had the best facial hair of any president to date. In 1888, the National Geographic magazine was first published. The society itself was founded in January of 1888 and now consists of 8.5 million members. In 1889, Nintendo Kapai, later Nintendo Company Limited, was founded by Fusajiro Yamauchi to produce and market the playing card game Hanafuda. No one knows that game anymore, but the whole world knows the Italian plumber known as Mario. In 1890, the U.S. Congress established Sequoia National Park. The park now attracts nearly one million visitors per year. It also contains the tallest tree in existence, which is named General Sherman. In 1937, J.R.R. Tolkien published his novel The Hobbit. It's considered a classic fantasy novel and is widely read today. In 1968, 60 Minutes debuted on CBS. It has run every week in the 43 years since then and has garnered 78 Emmys. In 1981, Sandra Day O'Connor was unanimously approved by the Senate as the first female Supreme Court Justice. She had been nominated by Ronald Reagan and remained a justice until 2006. She is now the Chancellor at the College of William & Mary. Let's do birthdays, all 20-something of them. Irish brewer Sir Arthur Guinness was born this week in 1725. In 1849, Ivan Pavlov, Russian scientist famous for his experiment with dogs, was born. In 1874, Gustav Holst, an English composer famous for The Planets, was born. In 1878, Upton Sinclair, author of The Jungle, was born. In 1880, Sarah Nouse was born. She became the oldest American to ever have lived. Franklin Clarence Mars, founder of Mars Incorporated, was born in 1883 this week. T.S. Eliot, the author of The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, was born this week in 1888. William Faulkner, American writer and Nobel laureate, was born in 1897. Shel Silverstein, a famous American humorist, author, and poet, was born in this week in 1930. The famous glass sculptor Dale Julie was born this week in 1941. Stephen King, famous American author, was born in 1947. Bill Murray, famous for his roles in movies such as Groundhog Day, Ghostbusters, and What About Bob, was born this week in 1950. Who are you going to call? Bill Murray. In 1951, Mark Hamill, forever immortalized as Luke Skywalker, was born. Christopher Reeve, best known for playing Superman, was born in 1952. Will Smith, famous for his role in Wild Wild West, was born this week in 1968. Catherine Zeta-Jones, or Xena, the warrior princess, <laughs> was really? born in 1969. What? <laughs> Who the hell's Luke Wilson? <laughs> Dude, you don't know who Luke Wilson is? No! We can take him out. He's really not that great. Donald Glover, otherwise known as Childish Gambino and known for his role in Community, was born this week in 1983. F. Scott Fitzgerald, author of The Great Gatsby and other awesome books, was born in 1896. Jim Henson, the creator of The Muppets, was born this week in 1936. This week in 63 B.C., Augustus Caesar was born. Ray Charles, American blues and jazz musician, was born this week in 1930. Bruce Springsteen was born this week in 1949. Well, that's all the knowledge we've got for you this week. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. Thanks for listening, and keep it historical. Raleigh. That's all we have for you this week. I'd like to thank our contributors, Nick, Dave, Jake, Katie, Mark, Nate, Selma, and of course, you the listener. If you'd like to get in touch with our show, please give us an email at publicaffairs at wknc.org. Or you can give us a call at 515-2400 or 860-0881. We'll be back next week with more Eye on the Triangle. And until then, I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. Good night.